from MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law and Charlie Mitchell, Assistant Dean of the Meek School of Journalism and New Media at the University of Mississippi. It is Election Day, so today we'll cover some free speech and journalism issues around selections in general. Elections in general. Are there limits on what a candidate can say to the media? We'll also talk about if there are any laws to prevent media bias. Also today, we'll talk about access in Mississippi. Can anyone get access to public records? If you attend a public meeting, can you record the discussion? You can call us today at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 with any comments or questions you have. Or send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law and Charlie Mitchell, Assistant Dean of the Meek School of Journalism and New Media at the University of Mississippi. It is Election Day, so today we'll cover some free speech and journalism issues around elections in general. Are there limits on what a candidate can say to the media? We'll also talk about if there are any laws to prevent media bias. Also today, we'll talk about access in Mississippi. Can anyone get access to public records? If you attend a public meeting, can you record the discussion? You can give us a call today if you have any comments or questions about access in Mississippi. Uh, Also, do you think politicians or government officials should be held accountable for false statements said to the media? Or should it be up to the public to find out the truth? Also, have you seen what you believe to be media bias in various elections? Call us today at 877-672-7464. That's 877-MPB-RING. Or you can email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, uh, Dean Mitchell and Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, and it's great to have uh, Dean Mitchell with us today. He is not only a well-known and respected journalist, but he's also a graduate of our law school and uh, we're really lucky to have him. Yeah, um, and so this is a perfect day to have him on as, as this whole election and all, all many elections uh, have just had a lot of things dealing with free speech, some things that we don't understand and, and many that we feel like we have the rights to when it comes to free speech. Uh, so, uh, Dean Mitchell, I'm really curious to hear about your experiences in general in dealing with political campaigns as a journalist. I'm sure the last year has been very interesting with the presidential election. Well, it certainly it has been a very interesting year. I don't think any of us have ever seen anything like it. Uh, it's, um, I don't know whether to say that, uh, that we'll ever see anything quite like this again, but I think a lot of us hope we won't. Yeah, and there's been a lot of interesting coverage uh, from journalists and specifically bloggers. Uh, It seems that with the rise of blogging, there seems to be just way more opinions uh, being out there, as opposed to what we've seen in the past with newspapers and things that uh, and publications that people would consider legitimate. You have a lot of opinionists with bloggers. So do you see this as just a new shift? Do you think bloggers have a huge degree of influence uh, in today's society? I know that uh, when I was in uh, law school here at this great institution that um, 
we were taught that the founders wanted a free, robust exchange of ideas, and that was the heart of the First Amendment. Uh, Tom Brokaw, uh, who was with NBC News, was on campus a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, every morning you can get up, turn on your computer, go to the Internet, and read hundreds of articles or uh, thousands of facts, about a third of which are true. Uh, so I think that, that uh, what we're seeing is, is a lot more conversation and, and I hope a lot more skepticism uh, uh, among people as, as to whether the, what they're reading is accurate. Yeah, that, that's what I'm always curious about, because you see these things and they're put in a format that looks legitimate. So you see a story, it has a headline, it's compelling and it looks legitimate, but you could actually be reading something that's inaccurate. So uh, do you have any thoughts on how people can actually fact check things uh, to make sure that it's, it's true as opposed to just someone's opinion? Well, there, there are ways to, uh, to drill down, to check multiple sources. Uh, the thing about the Internet is that, for instance, somebody could actually create something that looked like it was a direct communication from the Clinton campaign or a direct communication from the Trump campaign, and it would and be completely bogus. So uh, I think that a smart consumer is going to multi-source, uh, go, uh, not believe anything the first time uh, it's read, uh, in journalism school, uh, we have a saying that uh, if your mother tells you she loves you, get a second source. Uh, <laughs> because it's just there's just so much information that comes at people so fast, and from uh, from and it can so easily be uh, made to appear legitimate. That's just not legitimate, or it's it's uh, uh, so one-sided are so uh, uh, loaded up with, with uh, only part of the story that, uh, that it can be um, uh, misinterpreted or mislead people. And, and so as the dean and as a professor, um, is there a harder push to teach students who are, are journalism students uh, to, to have integrity and to be careful about what they post, uh, especially on social media when things can just spread so quickly? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Society of Professional Journalists' first tenet uh, in its code of ethics is seek truth and report it. And truth is not always readily apparent. And sometimes journalists have to give you the best available version of the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but the, I mean, the heart of our, our craft is to uh, find the truth and to relate it to people and let them make their own decisions as to how it will influence their lives. Well, listeners, we want to hear from you today. It is Election Day, so we are covering some issues um, uh, around free speech and journalism issues around elections in general. So if you have any comments or questions, you can call us about free speech. That's 877-MPB-RING is the number. And a couple questions for you. Do you think politicians or government officials should be held accountable for false statements said to the media or even journalists? Or do you think it's up to the public to find out the truth? Also, have you seen what you believe to be media bias in elections on a local or national level? We'd love to hear from you today. The number is 877-672-7464. You can also email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, and Dean and Professor, there's been a lot of talk about media bias, especially in this presidential election. Uh, some, some of the candidates have claimed to be, um, you know, 
put in a bad light in the media or have more support than others in the media. And we do know that various media entities do have a lot of influence when it comes to shaping shaping people's minds about who a candidate is or if they are qualified to to do certain things. Um, so, you know, and there have been accusations that the media is biased in favor of one particular candidate. Is that actually true? Is media bias a, a proven thing? I think that it's an accepted thing uh, in today's media environment that uh, we're seeing more uh, the audience being given information uh, that is kind of calculated to keep them intrigued or excited or scared uh, because that's really a good way to to hold an audience. Uh, That's not necessarily in keeping with the highest ideals of journalism uh, as much as it is in the highest ideals of commerce. Uh, So you you do see that, and you see what's called uh, journalism of affirmation where a very good marketing plan uh, is to have a radio station or a television station that that identifies a target audience and continually tells them that their worldview is correct, and that keeps their numbers solid. Uh, And I hope that the the, the public is sophisticated enough to realize that. Um, Just for a few minutes, I watched two different networks uh, last night that are known to be uh, have uh, uh, their own viewpoints, and uh, it could not have been more clear that one uh, of the uh, hosts was uh, saying, you know, we've got to vote for, for Hillary Clinton. Uh, it, our nation's future depends on it. And the other one was saying, uh, if we don't elect Donald Trump, uh, it's all over. Uh, so when you have that level of of, of involvement or uh, things that, that are taking place on news sets and look like they're news and factual reporting, and it's just not. And that's why I think you know, it's really important for the, uh, the uh, people who are voting, us, to, to uh, look into the facts, as, as Dean Mitchell said, to listen to both uh, stations. Don't just listen to one. Don't just listen to the one that agrees with you. But to actually challenge your thoughts. I mean, one of the things we teach in law school is analytical thinking, and, uh, you know, to really take uh, a look at both positions. And I'm not sure we're really doing that. Um, so that's a question I'd like to ask listeners. How much uh, do media entities and these different mediums impact your beliefs on candidates? Do you really, really depend on things like television and radio to help you, um, you know, form an opinion about a particular candidate? Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. The number is 877-672-7464, or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Dean, are there any laws that prevent media bias, or is this just a a social thing that we're going to have to deal with? Um, The First Amendment, as I said, uh, anticipates that there will be a, that the nation prospers from a, a robust free exchange of, of opinion of, of, uh, at, a, at all levels. Founders had no idea about Facebook or Instagram or any of that. But, but the alternative is to have uh, government determine who can say what, when, and where. And so far, our courts have, have been pretty adamant in supporting uh, the First Amendment uh, viewpoint that, that let everybody say everything within some limitations 
and let the people sort it out rather than have the government say, okay, well, you can talk and you have to remain silent. All right, we go to the phones. Carrie uh, is in Taylor with a comment. Good morning, Carrie. What do you have for us? Hi, good morning. I was uh, listening to your show, and it reminded me of something that just happened yesterday. There was a post going around that was being circulated through the Internet that was a news article that was posted by a uh, newspaper that was called the Denver Guardian, and it was totally false, and it was a made-up newspaper. And uh, th- that's one of the things I think we all have to guard guard on, and I was wondering if there was anything going on at the university to help counter that, to help be a watchdog for these types of, of uh, articles. And it comes across as being a legit newspaper when it's not, and everything in the newspaper was false or in the, in the post on the web were false. That's such a good point, Carrie, especially on social media. You see things like this all the time, just bogus articles that are completely made up, you know, some for – uh, you know, funny purposes, but some, I mean, they actually are just making things up and folks are believing it and sharing it and, and spreading it. And that's just very interesting. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Dean Mitchell? Well, uh, that's what we were talking about earlier. And it's not just in a social or political context. Uh, you know, when, you, when you're looking for a, a hotel or, or something like that, or the reviews on a bed and breakfast, you, you really have no information as to who uh, who said this is a great place to stay or whatever, um, it's uh, it's unverified information, uh, it's unfiltered information, uh, which is a new phenomenon in our in our culture. Uh, newspapers and mainline old style television. You had editors, you had journalists who were not the most respected profession in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but they did filter information and they had a certain level of trustworthiness that just does not uh, translate to the new platforms where everybody is uh, in quotations journalist and can report and post and concoct and mislead and trick uh, to, to as much as they want. Dean, do you know of any organizations that may be using besides like the, the typical internet ones like Snopes that are out there uh, in the universities or any uh, journalism schools or, or organizations that are actually um, searching the Internet for this type of false news stuff to counter it? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's several uh, you know, sites, and you named a couple of them, that uh, you can go to to verify, you know, is some, uh, some actor's death has been reported, and you can go there and see if it's true or made up or... Um, but but uh, no, this is this is still an evolving phenomenon in our society. I think universities are studying it uh, because it is such a radical change uh, that people uh, receive uh, such diverse information. Uh, and uh, but but let me say this: the public has 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 done very well, I think, uh, at figuring out what's credible and what's not. Uh, it's it's not. I think. There's an assumption that people are very easily fooled, and, uh, you know, they may believe something for a few seconds, uh, but once they think about it and, and, uh, or, or once they receive some uh, competing information, they, they're, they're getting educated on credibility issues pretty fast. All right, Kerry, uh, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Dean Gershon, did you have something? No, Sharita. Um, but, uh, by the way, I thought it would be good, and Dean, Dean Mitchell was nice enough to provide this information, 
uh, since it's election day, to have uh, the number to the Mississippi election hotline, which will make sure you know where to vote today. Okay. And that hotline number is 800-829-6786. And again, that's the Mississippi election hotline. Okay, good information. Thank you. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we have Joyce, John, and Valerie to get to. Uh, this morning, we're talking about some free speech and journalism issues around elections in general. And you can give us a call if you have any comments or questions. Do you think politicians, government officials, journalists should be held accountable for false statements? Or is it up to the public to find out the truth? Also, have you seen what you believe to be media bias in various elections on a local or national level? And how much do media entities and various various mediums impact your beliefs on candidates. Call us 877-672-7464 is the number. That's 877-MPB-RING or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law and Charlie Mitchell, Assistant Dean of the Meek School of Journalism and New, Be- New Media at the University of Mississippi. It is Election Day, so today we're covering some free speech and journalism issues around elections in general. Are there limits on what a candidate can say to the media? We'll also talk about if there are any laws to prevent media bias. And later we'll get to access in Mississippi. Can anyone get access to public records? If you have any questions or comments today, you can join the conversation. How much do media entities or various mediums impact your beliefs? on candidates. Do you think politicians or journalists should be held accountable for statements they say, or should it just be left up to the public to find out the truth? Call us at 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right, so we're going to try another uh, way of connecting and see if the, the dean and professor can hear us. Can you guys hear us through the Comrex? We can hear you, Sharita. Can you hear us? Excellent. Yes, we can. (laughs) Success. (laughs) Uh, So we do have some calls to get to. Joyce is in Meadville, uh, wants to talk about the media's influence. Good morning, Joyce. What do you have for us? Well, um, I'm Joyce, and I wanted to state my opinion because I do fully believe that uh, the bias part that you mentioned, that uh, the media is actually biased and I agree with that because um, on one channel you turn, for instance, CNN, they're saying, uh, for my gathering, that CNN is going Republic and some other broadcast is going Democrat. And they don't, they're not ashamed to let you know that. 
And uh, I'm, I'm really aware of the fact that uh, these uh, red, uh, station, radio stations or uh, news channels, you turn them on, and they have bias in them, and they have chosen who they want to say uh, things that are encouraging about and the things that they want to say discouraging things about yeah. to influence uh, the election. Mm-hmm. And I gather that, you know, and um, I don't think, I really, I think it's up to the people in general to find out, uh, to go through public record, because you really can't rely on the media, because as we stated before, it's a lot, a lot of bias in the media right now. Joyce, I would say that you're you're making the excellent point about awareness, and the public's awareness is so crucial. Right, and uh, the thing is, is that um, I watch uh, the public uh, channel um, Mississippi uh, Public Broadcasting a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, that is a terrific channel to really, really, really um, uh, actually, you know, focus on or to list uh, to actually get the news from. Because for me, I mean, there's some bias in, in, in all of them, but uh, I find that there are that there it's less bias with them. They just report the news. We agree. <laughs> Thank you, Joyce, for uh, calling in and for watching MPB. We really appreciate it. And uh, I, I'm going to ask a follow-up question about that, too, like who controls the content in just a moment. We do have some calls to get to, though. John is in Philadelphia uh, with a comment about media bias. Good morning, John. Hi, I was going to say uh, I love NPR, and our local program is great. But as far as the national NPR, they are very biased, and I don't understand how public radio can do that. They don't go without an hour of bashing Donald Trump. I mean, it's anything he says. Hillary Clinton, she can get all the answers to the debates. She can do all this. It's never reported, never brought up. It's, it's one, and it's not just this. They moved from, and, and people all over this country are the same. They, they when they were, uh, when they was talking about uh, uh, gay marriage, NPR was, boy, it was big on to it. Big liberals jumping all over it. I know friends of mine that was talking about, well, California's fixing to vote on it, and we know how they're going to vote. I said, now I've worked all over the United States. I didn't just visit. And them people are just like us. They're going to vote it down. And they did. And of course, you know, a judge overturned it. But I don't, I don't understand why NPR, which is the only top radio I can hear here, uh, is so one-sided. I understand the rest of them. They all got their agendas. And one of the reasons I think we went to war in Iraq, we have no news reporting. They just, you know, it's whatever they throw out there and they just go with it because, you know, something something new but uh npr I, I i just don't understand how it's publicly funded and can be so one-sided and that's all i got to say okay thank you john um and i do know that you know most of the local radio stations uh those the, the content is locally controlled so you know there are different producers and and directors who determine what goes on the air and what doesn't uh, but you know john does, does have a point about radio stations in general um, and and the way they decide to report things. So, did you have any additional thoughts on that, Dean Mitchell? No, I, I thought his comments were well taken, uh, and it again points to the necessity of of, of seeking your information from uh, 
uh, as many sources as you can and making up your own mind based on the different viewpoints that you hear. Yeah, that's a good idea to uh, get multiple sources. Uh, there was a, a report done about Facebook about uh, people, the things that show on people's timelines agree with the opinions and the beliefs that they already have. So there's nothing to counter their thoughts, just things to reaffirm their thoughts. So I think it is good to uh, you know, explore multiple sources before forming a, a final opinion. Uh, Valerie is in Hines County. Good morning, Valerie. What do you have for us today? Yes, my question was, once the votes are cast and secured and then taken to their secure, uh, you know, the next place, who has access legally to those votes? Can chairmen of the parties access those votes if they're concerned about some fraud? Can the election commissioners, you know, who has access to those votes uh, once those ballots have been cast? and taken away from the polling station, you know, to uh, their sites to be um, evaluated. Who, who then has access? Because I recall in Mississippi not too long ago, we had some individuals of one particular party, if I'm not mistaken, who were able to get into a secure place and um, go through ballots or votes in Mississippi for their own agenda. Uh, can you elaborate more on that? It may be one of the least publicized uh, jobs in the state, but every county in the state has an, ele an election commission. And these are uh, people whose job is, uh, and of course, not their full-time job because they're only paid for working a certain number of days. But in federal elections and in statewide elections, not primaries, and primaries are run by the political parties. But in, in general elections, uh, as we're having today, uh, the chairman of the election commission as the person, the key holder, the person who has uh, control of those uh, once the votes are tallied. Uh, the commission in each county meets to uh, certify, usually within 24 hours, the results and forward those results officially to the secretary of state. Thank right. you. You're welcome, Valerie. Thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Um, and I wanted to back up to John's question about uh, what is put on radio and television. Um, who controls the content that is put on television and radio? Uh, is there any kind of responsibility to create some balance, or is that, or is that power just in uh, the eyes of the, the beholder or whoever it is that, that owns the station? Well, that's, that's a, a longer conversation, uh, but the uh, broadcast stations are uh, under the control of Federal Communications Commissions, and they operate under what's called the PICON standards. That means that they have to operate uh, in the public interest, uh, convenience, and necessity. Uh, but, of course, many media are not broadcast media, and so they are under no controls at all. Uh, but but say is there a, is uh, there was something called the fairness doctrine? There was something called equal time, but generally speaking, uh, in in this era of deregulation, a lot of those bets are off. As far as social media, the position of the federal government in the United States uh, has been since this phenomenon was born, hands off. Uh, they have no uh, they have, they exercise no authority over content. Uh, they do exercise some con control over the amount of bandwidth and how it's allocated, 
uh, on the internet. But other than that, uh, no. All right. Going to go to one call before the break. Raymond is in Lorena. Good morning, Raymond. What do you have for us today? Well, uh, when they said Director Coney released that letter about uh, Hillary's emails, and everybody's worried about how it's affecting Hillary's campaign, but at that point, and that day before, Hillary said she was not going to concentrate on her own campaign anymore. She was going to concentrate on the campaigns of the other Democrats for the House and the, and the Senate. And what he effectively did when he did that, for the next nine days, Hillary had to go back to campaigning for herself, and she didn't do that. He did. He got what he wanted. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. He got what he wanted. He got all those stuff with her plans to help the others so it could change the Senate and House of Representatives. She didn't do it because she had, was being attacked by everybody else. He got what he wanted by what he did. Yeah, thank you for your call, Raymond. Uh, there have definitely been some interesting events to happen in the final days of this election. Um, Dean or Professor, did you have any additional thoughts to uh, Raymond's comments? It, it, it illustrates that, that when there are a series of events that people interpret those events as, as uh, having the significance that, that uh, is based on the totality of everything they've heard, read, or seen. And uh, that's his perception of why or how and the effect of this. And that's, that's what America's about, is that we, we, people can hear and see and who did what and when it was done and how it was done and, the, who, and where somebody stood uh, and what color ties somebody wore and, and make their own conclusions about it. It's what's great about the country. And one thing, you know, is uh, that is important that you mentioned, too, in your call is that you know, there are other elections going on today besides the presidential election. And the truth is, probably in our day-to-day lives, uh, you know, who serves in Congress, who's on the Mississippi Supreme Court in Mississippi, really affect our lives more day-to-day uh, than who is the president of the United States. All right, we need to take another break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation about free speech and journalism surrounding the election. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any thoughts or questions. How much do media entities or various mediums impact your beliefs on candidates? Do you think politicians or government officials or journalists should be held accountable for false statements they say in the media? Uh, You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Also, have you seen what you believe to be media bias in elections? Give us a call today. We're going to talk about access in Mississippi when we get back. What are the rules regarding public meetings and public records? Give us a call or email us, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law and Charlie Mitchell, Assistant Dean of the Meek School of Journalism and New Media at the University of Mississippi. It is Election Day, so today we've been covering some free speech and journalism issues around elections in general, and we are going to talk about access in Mississippi as well. We do have some lines open if you want to join the conversation and talk about how do media entities impact your beliefs on candidates? Do you think politicians or journalists should be held accountable if they give false information to the public? Have you seen what you believe to be media bias in various elections? Give us a call at 877-672-7464. That's 877-MPB-RING. Or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. So um, we we haven't gotten to libel just yet. Uh, Can you tell us what is libel and do the libel laws apply to political free speech? Uh, libel is a publication of false and defamatory information that injures a person's reputation. Uh, and so that's the textbook definition of, of libel. Um, the, the, uh, the curb on that, as far as political campaigns and public figures goes, is the standard that's been popularized in a lot of movies and elsewhere called actual malice which means that in order for a public figure or a public official or a candidate to prevail in a libel suit, the, the person must not only prove that the information was false and damaging, but they must prove that when the person published that information, um, or meaning broadcast, just put it out there, that they knew at the time uh, that it was false or acted with reckless disregard to the truth or falsity. Uh, that's the legal legal standard. Uh, you very rarely see uh, political candidates at any level uh, initiating uh, libel actions. Uh, these days, uh, it's just a rough-and-tumble world out there, and the courts and the law kind of expect that, that there's going to be misinformation along with truthful information. And so uh, the courts have always erred on the side of, of having free and robust exchanges, even if not all, everything that's being said is truthful. And, and Sharita, uh, we can look at the Stolen Valor Act, for example. Uh, the, you know, there was a political candidate who basically lied about his uh, service record and said he won the Medal of Honor, which he had not won. And, and uh, you know, Congress passed a law called the uh, Stolen Valor Act, and even the Supreme Court said, well, you know, that, those kind of lies are also protected uh, by free speech, and, and you know that, that we have to give strict scrutiny because we want to balance uh, our protected rights to free speech, uh, you know, against uh, untruthful statements. And typically, in most cases, uh, the protected un- the lie is protected. Wow. Well, it's, Go it goes to the issue of, 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 of if, if somebody's going to control speech, if somebody's going to have the say-so over who can say what, who is it going to be? And our, our system has never believed that it should be the government, uh, which would be the only place, that, uh, the only power that could do it. And if you go around the world and you look at other countries, and you, you'll see 
that that where where they do control the flow of information and it's a lot neater and it's a lot cleaner it's like they said about Mussolini he made the trains run on time uh, but uh, America is not designed that way America is designed uh, to be very different and not as neat and clean and orderly as as we all would kind of like it to be at times but but the alternative is to have um, uh, controls put in place, and, and our government so far has, has resisted that. All right, we have a couple calls to get to. Dan is in Crystal Springs. Good morning, Dan. What do you have for us? Hello. Hi, Dan. You're on the air. Hey, I'm sorry. I was listening intently to y'all's conversation about libel. It just kind of cut in on me. Uh, this is Dan Kitchens. Uh, my father is Justice Jim Kitchens, who's running for re-election to the Mississippi Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And I'm out campaigning on the road today in my truck, and I heard the conversation on here about um, this out-of-state uh, money that's been flowing into this race and the nasty television ads against my father and just wanted to call in and, and uh, weigh in on that. Uh, of course, there's been a lot of television commercials. Some people have seen them. A lot of people have probably seen them uh, that are just not true. Uh, cherry-pick a couple of cases and try to make my father – uh, seem like he's a bad person and a bad judge and r- would rule on the side of uh, criminals just to try to find ways to help them, which is absurd. Uh, all the justices on our Supreme Court are uh, fair and honest people. Uh, you know, they all some have different views, but it doesn't make them uh, side with criminals and child predators. Uh, the people that those commercials, uh, those people are still in jail. Uh, they, they are um, nobody just voted uh, to be released from jail. They're uh, in fact, on one of the cases that uh, are cited in those commercials, all nine judges on the Supreme Court uh, agreed with my father later, and it was sent back to the trial court. So, uh, you know, that out-of-state money coming in here, by sent in here to run these negative ads, um, shouldn't have that. There's no place for that in politics. My father refused to get in the gutter, uh, would not uh, respond in kind, has never run a negative ad, has refused to run negative ads, and has refused to let anybody do that on his behalf. And he's just not going to run that kind of campaign. He's run a very positive, clean campaign. And I think he's going to win today. Uh, so that, that's what I wanted to say. I'm happy to talk about it further if y'all want to do that. Well, well, Dan, we certainly appreciate you calling in. I, I was very interested to hear that perspective of um, you know, someone who's a son of somebody running and to see something like that on the television, I imagine that it can be hurtful. Uh, so that was very interesting to hear. But we really appreciate you calling in. Uh, thank you so much for adding to the conversation and for listening to us. Um, Dean, Professor, did you have any additional thoughts? I saw Justice Kitchens at the Neshoba County Fair this year. Uh, I've known him for many years. He's a fine guy. I, I would say the same. I've gotten to know him as well. And uh, you know, and it's unfortunate because uh, there is, uh, since Citizens United was decided by the Supreme Court, uh, outside uh, interests have really been able to uh, put money into state elections where, you know, they're not even from those states, but, they, you know, there's no control over the kind of money that they can put into elections uh, and, and uh, make these kind of ads. So uh, it's something hopefully maybe uh, at some point the Supreme Court will reconsider that, that decision. All right, we go next to Andrew, who's in Natchez, wants to talk about media bias. Good morning, Andrew. Hello? Hey, Andrew, you're on the air. Hey, yes, ma'am. Um, I just want to talk about media bias. Okay. Um, I just intend to notice on the radio, because I drive a lot, you know, from my job listening to various 
AM and PM stations that most of the hosts tend to, when there's a competing conversation with two points of view, they tend to say, well, this is a conservative media outlet. They never say this is the liberal media outlet or this is blah, blah, blah. It seems like they're already, you know, they're, I mean, I was wondering why they don't say this is a liberal publication. It's always like this is a conservative publication. It's like some, like, you know, abnormal thing. And it seems like it's, it's sort of a built-in bias in most of the media, not all. And I just wanted to uh, get y'all's opinion on it. Thank you. Thank you for your call, uh, Andrew. Any thoughts, Dean and Professor? Oh, people generally are more likely to self-identify as conservative than they are to self-identify as liberal. Uh, if you do public testing of the terms, uh, it shows that, that liberal is not really a, a popular term, and conservative sounds, for some reason or another, more American. So uh, I think that what you will hear on stations that have a, a more of a, a liberal thing is they self-identify as progressive. And uh, and and that is a, a much warmer and fuzzier word, uh, but it's, we're just talking about putting labels on things, and uh, and that's pretty much it. All right, we're going to take our final break. When we get back, we'll talk about access in Mississippi. Uh, what are the rules regarding public meetings and public records? If you attend a public meeting, can you record the discussion? Can anyone get access to public records? We'll talk about that when we return from the break. 877-MPB-RING is the number to join the conversation. That's 877-672-7464 or send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon and Dean Charlie Mitchell of the Meek School of Journalism and New Media at the University of Mississippi. Today we've been talking about free speech and journalism issues around elections in general, and we're going to talk about access in Mississippi in just a moment. Uh, but earlier we had uh, Justice Jim Kitchen's son who called in, uh, and, and we want to make sure that you know that he's going to be running against Court of Appeals Judge Kenny Griffiths. Uh, so those are both the candidates that are going against each other, and we cannot endorse anyone here on MPB, so it's our obligation to let you know um, that Justice Jim Kitchens is running against Kenny Griffiths. So you can look into that on your own time. Uh, so now we're going to talk about 
access in Mississippi with the few minutes that we have left here. Uh, so, Dean Mitchell, t- talking about access in Mississippi, what are the specific rules regarding public meetings? Can anyone attend attend public meetings? Does there have to be an invite only or are certain meetings off limits to the public or what? Uh, Mississippi has very, very good open meetings and open records laws. Uh, in fact, both of them uh, statutes, both parts of the code start off uh, with the preamble uh, that's very broad in its definition of what constitutes a public record and what constitutes a public meeting, and both affirmatively say that that all public meetings and all records that fit the definition are public records. There are take backs later, uh, but the uh, but the uh, it, it's not any citizen or any journalist or anything like that. If any any person person is the exact word in the statute, so so those are open to anybody. And are there any exemptions to public records that can be accessed? Yes, there are plenty of them. There, uh, for instance, uh, uh, I, I've graduated from this school, and they wouldn't let me look at the bar exam questions in advance. <laughs> that's a public record, and same for CPAs and physicians. Uh, military information, security information, uh, law enforcement uh, witness list of who we're going to interview, uh, things like that. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, you know, I'm pro-open all the time, but there are many times uh, in the code that there there are provisions to uh, to close certain types of records, such as negotiations re- related to uh, uh, lawsuits uh, or negotiations uh, re- related to the purchase or sale of lands. Uh, the the overall gist of of the exceptions, though, is that uh, if it's in the public's interest to keep a record from being made public, then it's not made public. And the same thing for public meetings. For instance, a jury is is not a jury meeting. The jurors in deliberations is not considered a public meeting. Um, things like that. So I'm but curious. The, Go ahead. No, I was just going to restate that and maybe try to make it a little more clear. The exceptions to when a record is open or a meeting is open or when it helps the public for that record or that meeting not to be made public, not when it helps the individual officials. Um, I was curious about police records. So if someone is involved in a police incident and they have to go to court, um, are are they allowed to, to get those records or not? Because I've seen this on like just Judy and stuff and folks have come to court uh, ill-prepared. They didn't have records and things like that. So are those things easily accessible? I don't know about easily, but mm-hmm. uh, 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 any time law enforcement takes action against an individual, that, those records are, are basically they become court records, and they are public. Mm. So, um, you know, we, we've talked about social media, and I, I watch city council meetings sometimes on television. Are there any rules regarding cameras and audio recorders in public meetings? Uh, the the, there's some some points in, about courtrooms, uh, but otherwise, uh, recording devices, audiovisual equipment, uh, is allowed in any public meeting. Uh, uh, they use the word "unless intrusive," which I think goes back to the dates when camera crews are in flashbulbs. Uh, but uh, a citizen who wants to go 
and uh, uh, turn on the smartphone and record a meeting or take photos during the meeting is perfectly allowed to do that as long as it's not disruptive. So uh, what is the process of accessing public records as just a regular citizen? Uh, where do you go apply or file to, to get access to these things? Well, the statute provides that uh, every entity that is a public entity has a designated custodian of records. And uh, so you ask, who's your custodian of records? And most of the times they'll know. Sometimes they may not know. And that person or that office is the keeper of, of the, the records. Um, and uh, some entities, uh, the statute provides that requests may be made. The statute provides that, that each public entity have a policy for how it's going to comply with the Public Records Act. Uh, and those policies can, can vary to some degree. But most of the time, it's just a matter of uh, making a written request for as specifically as possible for what information you're seeking, whether it's uh, minutes of a meeting or bids on a project that have already been opened and things like that. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. And uh, could one of you repeat the election hotline number, please, since it is Election Day? We want to keep folks informed. It is 800 829 Six seven eight six. Okay, so if any questions or uh, issues, you can call that number. Thank you so much, uh, Dean Charlie Mitchell, for joining me today, and Professor Richard Gershon. It was a pleasure having you both on today. If you didn't get to call, you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Jonas Adams was our board operator. Jay White was our call screener. Stay tuned. Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress is coming up next right here on MPB Think Radio.